How important is truth to you? Do you desire and seek what is true? Think about it this way. Do we like to be lied to? How does that make us feel? Do we wish to be deceived? Even when unintentional, is it okay to be misled? In today's discussion, let's consider the value of truth. Hello everyone, and welcome to Seek Search. I'm your host, John Bingham, and I'm grateful for our time together. Thank you so much for listening. In spiritual matters, in all matters, we need the truth. Truth is essential. Let's consider these statements of Jesus on the importance of truth. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way. Well, first of all, let's notice the way. I am the way. And then he said, and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus declares in the midst of that great statement, he is the way to the Father, and he also encapsulates the truth. That truth is important for us all to believe. In John 8, verses 31 and 32, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do we want to be free from sin? Do we want to be free from the condemnation of sin? The truth is what sets us free. In John 16, verse 13, Jesus is saying to the apostles, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. On in John 17, when Jesus is praying to the Father on behalf of his disciples, he says to the Father, sanctify them, how? Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Do we want to be sanctified? Do we want to be set apart in a right relationship with God? Well, how are we sanctified? God sanctifies us by the truth. And the source of that truth is the word of God. So those are some of the things that Jesus said in his ministry that emphasize the value of truth. We have to have it. So let's think about how John the Apostle, the writer of the gospel, he emphasized that what he witnessed is true. In John chapter 19, verse 35, he says, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. He's speaking of himself. He says, my testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. And a little bit later in John's gospel, he affirms in John chapter 20 in verse 30 and 31, he says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing 
you may have life in his name. If John's testimony is false, it is worthless for us. But because what he has told us about Jesus is true, the truth is why we may have life in his name. And it is John who told us what Jesus said to Nicodemus back in John chapter 3. Now, this is the most popular verse. And yet, what I'd love to do is read the context around the most popular verse so that we see what all Jesus is trying to say. So, John chapter 3, but I'm going to start in verse 14 and go down through verse 21. Notice the context here. Jesus says to Nicodemus, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Isn't it interesting that Jesus makes the connection right here that those who believe in him are also those who do the truth. The truth is essential. We are to be all about believing the truth and thus also doing the truth. That's what Jesus affirms in John 3. Now, just as John wrote so that we could understand the truth of God, so did Paul. In Ephesians 3, the first five verses, Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. And so what he asserts here is that the reason why he wrote was so that they, the Ephesians, and then us by extension, we can understand his insight and understand what he came to know about the truth of God. Now let's think about Paul's writing to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress 
of the truth. So a couple points from this. Paul wrote so that Timothy, and again, we by extension, would know how we ought to behave in the church. And the church is a pillar and buttress of what? Well, the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. The church that's pleasing to God and the individual members of that church will support and uphold what is true. Paul went on to charge Timothy and us by extension. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, the English Standard Version says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling what? The word of truth. Rightly handling the word of truth. Well, the New American Standard Version says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. We must work and seek and be diligent to do our best so that we are handling God's word rightly. Can we see what the Spirit of God has revealed to us in so many places and in so many ways in the scriptures? How important having the truth is now, in contrast with 2 Timothy 2, let's consider what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Paul said, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He goes on to tell the Corinthians later in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We must have this mindset. We've got to have this zeal and this level of respect for God's word. Well, at this point, let me pause for a moment to say we would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to me with your comments or questions or to request the first lesson of our What the Bible Says correspondence course. My email address is seeksearch, that's all one word, seeksearch at yahoo.com. Also, if you're on Facebook, look up seeksearch as two words and like the page. I look forward to connecting with you in these ways. Now, let's look at the stark contrast of God's truth and the devil's lies. In John 18, verse 37 and 38, Pilate has Jesus before him, and it says, Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Let's pause there. What was Jesus bearing witness to? The truth. Do we want to really have a relationship with Christ? Then we must be of the truth. 
So when Pilate heard Jesus speaking about the truth, Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Why do you think Pilate responded that way? What is truth? Sometimes we might wonder exactly what his inflection was in that question. Here's my supposition. In his position as governor of that turbulent region, he was surrounded by various political actors, all of them trying to influence him so they could gain his favor toward whatever they wanted. As such, he was surrounded by people who would spin things in whatever direction necessary to win the argument in pursuit of survival and political power. Fake news is actually nothing new. It is as old as politics itself. So I just think Pilate was totally jaded by his experiences in trying to navigate political life with the mindset of the world, in which truth is always a casualty to one's agenda. In contrast to Jesus's declaration of truth, Pilate doesn't think truth can really exist, but he is impressed by Jesus compared to everyone else he's dealt with, and I think that's why he declares, I find no fault in him at all, and he's kind of amazed at that. The devil wants to do the same thing to us, to surround us with spiritual fake news, the full gamut of religious claims, to make us jaded and walk away from any pursuit of the truth, making us wonder, what is truth? Let us not fall for his devices. Let us be diligent, do our best to accurately handle the word of truth. Let us seek the truth, search the scriptures for the truth, and not settle for anything less. Speaking of the devil, in Jesus' condemnation of the religious leaders of that day, he said in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. We are either seeking God's truth or we will be falling for the devil's lies and deception. Let's see some of the ways the Bible says that manifests itself. In Romans 1, verse 18, Paul said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. On down in verse 25, he says, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. In chapter 2, in verse 8, he says, But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation, that's what is awaiting those who don't obey what is true. Well, why is it that people will not seek and obey the truth? Let's look at 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. 
Paul tells Timothy, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Also, Paul writes to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 through 13, he says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So, do we really love the truth? Do we diligently seek sound doctrine? Or do we assume that significant doctrinal differences don't really matter and everyone can do whatever religious practices they wish and God will be pleased by that? Will we learn and believe and do the truth of what God's word actually says? Or do we have itching ears wanting to simply feel comfortable in whatever we want to hear and be assured of? If we don't really want the truth, God will send a strong delusion for us to feel comfortable believing some lie. May that get our attention so that we will become more diligent to seek and to search because the truth of God's word is essential. And yet, with all that said, there is a biblical balance in how we must handle the truth. If we are going to handle the word of truth properly, it's not just a matter of having truth regardless of anything else. We have to have truth and other things to go with it. We have to have truth and love. Let, think about 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3 for a moment. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We may be doing and, and thinking or having the knowledge all accurately, but if it's not founded in having a genuine love, God does not accept it. Well, how are we supposed to speak the truth? Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16 say, But speaking the truth in love, 
we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fit and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We've got to speak the truth in love. 2 Timothy 2, verses 22 through 26 says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Let's think about 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, where John emphasizes, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. If we're going to love, it's got to be in truth. It's got to be in what we're doing, not just saying we love. Okay, well, then we also need with that sincerity with the truth. 1 Peter 1 verse 22 says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. And 1 Corinthians 5 verse 8 says, Therefore let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And Jesus told the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, that we must worship in spirit and truth. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So, sincerity of spirit, purity of heart, and love in action are essential. And yet, let's flip this back around. All of these good traits must also have the truth. Now, consider what Paul declared. When he was defending himself one time, in Acts chapter 23 and verse 1, he looked at the council and he said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Think about that. Paul was formerly Saul of Tarsus, the foremost persecutor of the Lord's church. Yet back at that time, he was doing that in good conscience, thinking he was being rightly zealous for what God wanted. 
might we be zealous for God, but not yet understand God's will as is actually revealed in his word? A good conscience is great and it's necessary, but we must be trained by the truth in order for that conscience to spur us to do the will of the Father and actually be pleasing to him. But the Bible warns, Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And consider Paul's description of Jews who were zealous for God, yet they were opposed to God's righteousness. Romans 10 verses 1 through 3, Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. We'd better be submitting to what God calls righteousness. Think about what Jesus declared toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. This really gets my attention. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Can you imagine? People who think that they have Jesus as Lord coming to understand in the judgment day, they were practicing lawlessness rather than doing the will of the Father. So let's beware because in 2 Timothy 3 verse 7, Paul declares that some people, here's what he says, they always are learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. The truth is so important. But what does God desire for all of us? In 1 Timothy 2, verse uh, 1 through 4, he's talking about we need to appeal to God and pray for all men and for kings that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. In verse 4, it says, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. In summary, How can we arrive at the biblical balance? Well, we can be in one extreme where we have truth, but we don't have sincerity, we don't have love, and God is not pleased with that. On the other extreme, we might have a lot of sincerity and a lot of love, but if we don't have the truth of God's word, God is not accepting that either. The biblical balance is sincerity and love and zeal based on the truth of God's word. Now, I have thrown a ton of scripture at you in this lesson. I do that without apology. May the word of God overwhelm us with conviction to become diligent about its teaching, to become more zealous, to seek his truth as he commands. Well, that wraps up our time for today. May we seek God and seek his things and seek his ways by searching the scriptures. Thank you so much for listening. I hope it was a blessing for you.
You have been listening to Seek Search. I'm your host, John Bingham. You can contact me by emailing seeksearch at yahoo.com. Feel free to ask a question, make a comment, or request Lesson 1 of our Bible Correspondence Course. On Facebook, get connected by liking the Seek Search page. I hope you'll join me each Saturday at noon for the next edition of Seek Search.